Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the November 22nd edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you would like to learn more about me or the services of my firm, please go to our website, and that is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Well, today is the day before Thanksgiving. On yesterday, I did a Facebook Live. So if you are on that platform and you missed it, please go to the Local Matters Facebook page to hear that message where I express thanks for so many things, not the least of which is the support that you all have demonstrated for the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. I also ask for uh, suggestions for guests for 2024. I would really like to focus on the work of faith-based organizations and churches who are engaged in the business of building people. So if you know of any churches or ministries that have been opera in operation for more than five years um, with, a, with a demonstrated track record of success related to mentoring, teaching life skills, marriage and family ministry, um, uh, prison, working with people coming out of prison or in prison, uh, people uh, who are uh, experiencing mental illness, substance abuse, those sorts of things, domestic violence, any number of things where uh, those ministries are working to help people become healthier and more productive. I would love to have those ministry leaders and ministers on as our guests. So please reach out to me via email, Jackson at gmail.com or via my social media platforms so that you can tell me more about those folks and how I reach out to them. Have a happy and safe Thanksgiving and thanks so much for being with us today. Local Matters family, we have a guest today who is all the way from Texas and he is going to talk to us about uh, some things that may just solve some mysteries for us in terms of the role that architects play, how the physical environment can build community, and uh, some thoughts that architects have of, that connect people, community, sustainability, um, and function. So we're just going to talk about uh, all of those things, and hopefully by the time we finish, everybody has a better understanding of how all those things connect. How are you doing today, Barton? I'm doing excellent, Janice. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Barton Drake is a sector leader for community with HED. Uh, that's an architectural firm. In fact, you all, do you do more than that or is it just architecture? In fact, we do. We're a full service architectural and engineering firm. Okay. Uh, we uh, have offices in eight cities around the country. So it's very exciting. We, we pride ourselves in design excellence. We have what I like to call an integrated practice where we capitalize on all our market sectors. Uh, we have talent in all of these eight offices spread across the country. 
and we service the education sector, which includes K-12 and higher ed. I am in the community sector, which is cities and counties and municipalities and, you know, those things more associated with the local government. We have a housing and mixed use group. We have manufacturing and product development group. We have another group called Mission Critical, a group that focuses on science, and then another group that focuses on workplace. So that, you know, that gives me a great pool of resources that I can tap into across the country if I need some expertise I don't have. Uh, while I think almost I'm into my, what I call my fourth decade of practicing architecture. Uh, so I've seen a little bit of everything. I've worked in most of those sectors uh, in one way or another. So I, I like to think I have a good general experience across the board, but when I need some real expertise, I can, I can bring that in too. So that's a very exciting uh, thing that I, that I love about working in for HED. Excellent. Excellent. And if you could first tell us why somebody decides to go to school to become an architect, what drew you into the profession? You know, it's interesting for, for me personally, it began with the drafting class in seventh grade uh, in junior high. It was the only class that I recall up until that time where I didn't want to leave. Most of my other classes, I was happy when the bell rang and I couldn't wait to get out the door. So that was the first uh, inclination that I had that this, there was something here with the, this was drawing. And of course this was pre-computers, I might add. The yeah. second thing that, that really kind of sealed the deal for me, if you will, is, is when I also found out I love construction. I would spend summers working for contractors. I would deck roofs on apartments. I helped frame homes and I worked and built, you know, building cabinetry from installing trim on interior of houses. So over the summers in my later years, not seventh grade, but when I was in high school, I, I really kind of bonded with that. So those two things kind of came together. And I think I knew when I was in high school that I had a direction that made sense to me uh, just strictly because of the drawing and the building part. I didn't understand the, the importance about how architecture affects families and neighborhoods and communities until much later when I kind of, you know, dug in and, and really evolved into my career a, a bit more. Excellent. And tell me, where did you go to school? I went and to how the, much schooling do you have to get to be? So I went to the University of Texas in Austin, uh, and it is a five-year degree. There are a couple of different ways that architecture is handled through the education programs. There are two general ways. One is a four-year degree with a two-year master. And you'll find many of those programs across the country. The university, there are also many that are five-year programs, which is the one I selected. Now, being a person who was anxious to get from A to B as quickly as possible, I like the idea of five years of, of uh, higher education rather than six for several reasons, right? Economy being one of them. Uh, back in the, at that particular time, my family didn't have a ton of money for education, and I worked most of my way through college. So, you know, that was a factor uh, other than I wanted to stay in state. Uh, but I think uh, if you have a, an aptitude, and the thing that I love about architecture is the depth of the things that we really do. And there's many, many different paths when you get in the profession. If you like people, you can focus in the business. You're more engaged with people. If you're very technical, you can go that technical route. I was kind of a combination guy. I like both people 
and I like the technical side of the profession and the design side. So I've, uh, over time, you know, have gotten to the point where I, I like to get in early and, and create and, and integrate with the, with the owners and the teams and, and talk about how we can do great projects together. And um, as we think about some great projects, I know you've been engaged in a number of them that we're gonna talk about in some detail, but I think I want to set the table for this conversation by thinking about some of those cities we can drive through and it looks like every time you look, they've torn something down to build something back. And the bright, shiny structures are great, except it seems as though that is evidence of some lack of appreciation for history. It seems like you lose your history every time. Um, sometimes the structures that are torn down are pretty stately, you know. Um, how do you explain, how do communities explain uh, what it seems like their history is being lost to that type of demolition? And is there any way to avoid that? Well, I think, I think what's really important anytime you, you conceive of a project, and I guess when you're looking at, at a broader scale and scope in your communities, you need to make sure that your leaders, you're engaging with your leaders and you're communicating how you value uh, your community, the, the physical aspects of community, what I like to call the assets of your community, the things that, that mean something to you, uh, you know, because there's a lot of value in what's been built before. Obviously, it, it, there's the economic drivers of, of the process are always in play. But I think it's changed, particularly in the last 20 years. I think there was a period when we were more prone to just bulldoze and, and start new. We thought that was better. Uh, and we, we weren't as cognizant of the, the value of our past, perhaps, in terms of of architectural buildings and the way that the communities were designed and laid out. I think we've become much more aware now of the importance uh, of that, even in terms of just pure sustainability, right? And the idea that if you can come in to a community and repurpose and re-envision uh, the way those buildings work, you can, you can bring them, you can bring new life to those buildings and, I think a lot of people perceive that now, and there's, you know, just reflecting on uh, projects I've worked up and worked on in the past. I think if you uh, step back and and take stock of those assets, and then you generate a series of ideas, you know, what ifs, right? You think, well, let's look at this building and the adjacent, if it's near a park or if it's near. Uh, a series of commercial areas, or if it's adjacent to a housing community, you look at the things, the way those things can interact so that in is a synergistic relationship between the different uses. How can we reconceive that? And it may be tired. It, it, this, the envelope of the building may need some refreshing and, and the systems need to be replaced, but those things are all doable and you can find a new way to find something that you didn't know you had if you just if you think about it the right way i drive just as an example of something that's that in my neighborhood as i drive back and forth to work every day uh there was an old shopping center that i that i'd been driving by for probably 15 years or so over the course of time and it was thriving 
in the beginning. And then over the years, it kind of degraded and it just was old and tired. It was had way too much parking, not enough trees. And it went from, I would say, 80 to 90 percent occupied to maybe 30 to 40 percent occupied. And, and a lot of developers would want to come in, bulldoze it and conceive something totally different. In this case, there was some creative thinking between the owners. The owners came together with the city and the architect, and they came together as a team, and then they, they did several what-if uh, studies about how could we re-envision the shopping center, and they made basically took out a large section of parking, converted it to a green space with a park area and a playground for kids. They did remove a portion of one end, just to open it up and to allow airflow to move through in that green space. And then they just cleaned up the area. They refreshed the buildings, just uh, nothing extensive, but they refurbished them. And literally within 12, less than 12 months, within eight to six, seven to eight months after the completion of the project, you could see new life coming around in that shopping center and kids were playing Parents and kids were having uh, dinner and enjoying the, the covered areas with the adjacent uh, redeveloped restaurants. Just a very beautiful thing to see. And they took an old hired shopping center and reinvigorated it, refreshed it, and it became a vital part of that community. It's literally almost completely leased out now. And anytime I drive by when the weather's nice, the park is full of people. The restaurants are full of people. It's just, it's working beautifully. So sometimes it just takes a little imagination to prevent a demolition and instead do an adaptive reuse. Absolutely. You're right. It's a balance of having an open mind to approaching a challenge, approaching a problem with many players at the table that are willing to contribute valuable ideas. And then you just have to find the thing that makes the most sense, both from a connection to the community, connection to the marketplace, right? You have to be sensitive to the investors that are going to help uh, make the development work, make the revitalized project successful, because you really, you want that as a community, you want that as an investor, and you want that as a city for your tax base, right? You want, you want that development to do well, because that's going to then provide the tax base that makes the investment really worthwhile and everybody wins. And I think that's uh, that's the magic formula you look for when you approach uh, each individual project for the potential to take something old that, that has a great potential for a new life uh, and, and shouldn't necessarily just be replaced. It should be considered uh, carefully before you go that far. And the example you gave was in relationship to an older shopping center. I'm thinking of an example here in Augusta where we have an old church in the middle of downtown. Uh, I can't remember when that congregation moved out. I know it has to be at least 25 years ago, maybe longer. And the sanctuary has been sitting vacant since that time, as far as I know. Um, from what we see on the outside, you can tell that there's been a lot of damage and I'm sure for something of that magnitude, it would take quite an investment, even just to stabilize the, the structure uh, so that it could be used for some other purpose. Um, do you have any experience working with churches 
um, former formerly church buildings, houses of worship. That As a matter of fact, I, I, about four or five years ago, we uh, were discussing some projects with a small city north of Dallas, uh, Salina, Texas, and they had uh, a building that they wanted to use, uh, that they were trying to use as a uh, council chambers building. And it was, it, was, it was working for them, but it was just not quite what it needed to be. So they hired us to come in and modernize the church and provide the right technology, the screens, the microphones, rework the seating. Uh, it actually wasn't handicap accessible, because it was on a, it was because the church you had to ascend a large monumental stair to get to the main worship space. It had to be accessible, so we had to come in and envision a way to adaptively reuse it. So we added a uh, what looked like a bell tower that was in fact an elevator tower that would allow handicapped people to have access to all the floors of the church. So we've taken. Uh, something that served and it was also i think a vintage 1920s church building so it you know it served its purpose for probably 75 85 years uh, as a church and now it has a new life serving its community as a council chambers i think the ground floor the building department uh, is located where they do the permitting and, and plan reviews and those kinds of things so there are many creative things you can you can do with these old structures. Uh, you just have to have the right team members and the right vision to come together to, to help those things be successful. And that's you know that's spawned us now. We're looking at this is a it's a very young, vital, growing uh, suburban city. Uh, you know, as you may know, North Texas has been experiencing record growth for for uh, quite a few years now. So we're seeing. These guys are now in city of Salina is now imagining how we might expand their government center and grow them into the future. So we're now planning a facility adjacent to this church. So we're taking the value that that church provided. We've repurposed it now to serve the community as a council chamber. And immediately adjacent to that, we're going to build a new government center that's going to be a sister building, if you will, adjacent to that, and they're going to work together. Uh, and then we're, we're and we're going to have a uh, a public library in, involved in that. So we're now the city is taking a step. It's expanding, but it's 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 playing off that historic fabric of that church, and that becomes part of our architectural language as we think about how to expand. So that kind of brings back together your idea of what well, you have these old structures that have been very productive and vital to the communities for many years. We can, we can save it, turn it around, and then it becomes a catalyst to help us grow and expand and, 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 and do more things in that immediate neighborhood. So that I think it kind of creates that, uh, that great synergy, if you will. Excellent. Um, next, I kind of want to get on something that I think you touched on a little bit, but I'd like to expand upon. I mean, these days, probably, I don't know if it's been five years, 10 years, maybe 15 even, we've been paying more attention to the impact on the environment of any development that's done. I mean, they're building materials that are environmentally friendly. Um, and there's also this notion of 
monitoring the carbon footprint. You know, how much mm -hmm. energy does it take um, to demolish something versus rebuild something, et cetera, et cetera. How has ecology, those sorts of things, how has that shaped your work? And particularly, have you seen it change over the decades that you've been involved in architecture? Well, it's, it's, it, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because I, I'm funny. I'm one of those unique and uh, that unique generation where I've seen my profession go from pencil and paper only, no computers, to basically 100% computers. It's so much more sophisticated. And the, the capabilities we now have as architects in collaboration with our engineering team to look very, very deeply into the impact of our buildings from an energy standpoint is just, it's just really incredible what we can do now. And, and at HED, when we say we've, we value design excellence, we mean that on, on many levels. Uh, we mean that in, we want it to be architecturally beautiful right? We want it to be uh, an asset to the neighborhood. We want it to serve the clients and the users that it's designed for. But, we, but globally, you need to think about what is, what is the impact, the, the carbon footprint that you mentioned uh, that comes out, out of our effort to design this new building. So obviously, if you can reuse something that exists, all the energy that would be spent to not only tear it down, and haul it off and store it, uh, then you have to go back and completely reproduce all the things that you've just removed, be it the foundations, whether they be concrete and the super frame, be it steel or concrete or wood, uh, all of the envelope of the building. So all of those things then have to be recreated. So whenever you can, we'd like to have that conversation on an existing building about the value of in quantifying the, the savings there and reducing that carbon footprint. But even when we're planning new buildings, there are so many options in the, in the kinds of systems that, that we look at. So normally when we'll, we begin a project with a client, we'll have those very early discussions about, you know, what is your vision for energy? How do you perceive uh, your project? And you want to look at it long-term, right? Because there's those first cost uh, things that drive the budget of your building, but then there's also the maintenance cost, the, the operation costs, the things that occur over the lifespan of a building. And if, let's just say you want to build a city building, we typically talk to our clients about a lifespan of up to 100 years. So, right. And if you're talking about we're going to use this building for 100 years and every year you have an energy use that's, you know, $100,000 versus $50,000, well, that's a lot of money and, and it can have a lot of impact. So you think about those things carefully, we plan them up front, and then we can run simulations and energy models on how that building will perform for you. We look at the, how the sun moves across the sky, how that impacts the building, and that we can lay all those things out in the computer and plan that carefully early in the process so that we're having those conversations with you as, as our client, as a building user, uh, very thoughtfully about how to make this building the most efficient building we can. Uh, and, and in that vein, we're this, the, the project I was just speaking with you about a moment ago in the city of Salina, where we did the renovation to the church for the, for the council chambers building, we're currently planning that adjacent facility and we're talking about some very innovative systems. We're talking about using actually mass timber, which is actually using 
timber to build the entire frame. So you reduce that carbon footprint as it relates to the use of concrete and steel. Uh, and that's something we're seeing a lot more of in the industry now. We have in the Dallas area, probably about five or six mass timber uh, buildings uh, under design or under construction now. Uh, and then we're also talking about using another very, uh, what we think is a very flexible and uh, innovative system, which is an underfloor uh, plenum system where all the air conditioning and heating comes at a low pressure in the floor system and drifts up into the living space, the working space. So you have, uh, you have the flexibility to move the vents in the floor where you need them for the occupants within the building. So that provides a certain level of comfort that is a uh, much more efficient than the overhead duct systems that a lot of a lot of builders use. So we're always looking for innovative ways to, to be thoughtful about reducing our carbon footprint, providing our clients more efficient, comfortable, cost-effective buildings that cost them less to operate, less to maintain. Uh, and I think that's one of the most exciting parts of, uh, of our industry right now we're seeing. Uh, it, it's just evolving every year as we gather more data in the industry, sharing the data across across engineers and architects across the country. So I think it's it's uh, it's it's a work in progress that continues to evolve into a better and better, more efficient system every year. All right. Um, th that is a very significant change. Um, and as you've talked about it, what that reminds me of, as you were talking, this is what I was thinking about. I've seen about the gas guzzlers that used to be produced, um, the vehicles, you know, Automo the, the, the automobiles. Yes. The big vehicles that got, you know, six miles a gallon or something like that. Uh, and the auto industry had to catch up um, by saying, hey, you know, that's too expensive for the average person to operate. So we need to produce something that's more energy efficient. Of course, the government helped them come to those conclusions as well. So in the architectural business, you know, as we look at governments in particular, but any entity, even on a residential level, you have to cost of operation. Uh, that's a very significant factor, I guess, that that comes into play when you all are making decisions about what those heating and cooling systems look like and what type of materials you're using and those sorts of things. Yeah, it's, it's a constant juggling act. And of course we all, uh, as we should, we all aspire to do the best, uh, to, sh to shoot for the most efficient, most productive buildings we can. And a lot of times, you know, the budgets just don't support it. But I think what's critical is to have those important conversations with the client early in the process, let's make sure we talk about your budget. Are there some things we can do uh, as you look at your your program and how your building needs to operate and and, and who all needs to, to to use the building? Are there things we can we can think about between the client and the architect collaborating closely together in the community and how the community is going to use the building and find efficient ways to simplify to kind of help balance all those those competing interests in order to find the best building that you can do at that time. You know, as you know, we all, we all have uh, to work with what we have, right? We, we can't just always do everything we want to do. So I think if, if we're always having those conversations and always seeking uh, 
the best solution we can we can come to together. It, it makes the it makes the journey to deliver the process of designing the building and delivering the building with the client. It just makes it much more engaging, uh, much more interesting for everyone involved. It can even be fun if you've got all the right team members that that want to want to interact well together. And then everybody, at the, you get to the finish line and you're so proud of what you've done. You know, when you have those experiences where the the team plays really well together. If there's, and we're going to close with this question. Is there anything you wish the public knew about architects that they don't know? Architects or architecture? I think, uh, I think what people should know about architects is that most of them have a, an extreme passion for what they do. Uh, I, I joke at people. I used, I used to have this conversation with uh, some f- friends of mine who went in different pathways in their, in their professional life, be, whatever it might be, whether it be business or, or whether it even be construction or, or whatever direction that, you know, uh, English. A lot, and, and, and all those uh, other groups, when we were in school, they would be out playing on the weekends. You'd see the, you'd see the architects on Saturday night at 10 o'clock in their design studios working on their designs, pretending like they could dream the dream uh, and create something really fun and, and, and special uh, in their own mind and, and, and for their projects. So I think I, what I guess what I'll like say is they, they love their profession, but they love working with people and creating environments and frameworks for people to 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 have a great life in i mean the way i think of it if i can do a great project then when people come in and out of the project interact with the project their life is a little better because we were more thoughtful about how we develop that project i think that would be something i would i would mention this makes us different architecture the thinking man's profession well i think (laughs) There's a lot to think about in our profession. I will say that. And sometimes uh, it's great to have a team. You know, we really, it's really not just an individual. An architecture, an architect's world is a, is a world of many players. It's a big team. It really is a big team. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for being a guest on Local Matters. You are now officially a part of the family. I'm glad, I'm glad to have done it with you, Janice. Thank you so much for having me. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.